0: Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425 should you wish to be a part of this year's program. I want to give you a brief history lesson about something I know well. Uh, It sounds very Georgia specific. I don't want you to hear me thinking I'm talking about Georgia, though. I've actually uh, I've recorded for my flagship station, WSB, a whole separate show for them for these first 30 minutes of the program today because there's so much politics going on in Georgia. For everybody else, though, I want to talk about an event that happened a number of years ago so that you can relate to what I'm about to say about the mask stuff. If you've ever been to Georgia, in the Metro Atlanta area, there's a highway called Georgia 400, and it runs up from the downtown Atlanta area up to uh, the northern Republican suburbs. And there's a stop on the road at uh, called Lenox. Road and at Linux Road are the two prestige malls are where the Apple store is and the Gucci store and now the, the Nordstrom's and the Saks Fifth Avenue and all the fancy stores are there. Well, Georgia 400 is a toll road, only one-way toll and no 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 tolling for the exits. It's just one toll stand. And the developers of Georgia 400 put that toll road just north of Linux Road. So when all the rich people who live in the northern suburbs wanted to drive down To Gucci and Saks Fifth Avenue, they had to pay the toll. And the government always said that toll road would go away once the road was paid for. Well, the road was paid for several times over. And the toll, it was only 50 cents, never went away. When my wife and I got married, uh, Christy had to have a prophylactic mastectomy early on. That means she had to have a double mastectomy, uh, not because she had breast cancer, but because we knew given her genes, she was going to get it. And we would have to go through the toll at Georgia 400. And I never realized for for a long time when she was having going through the reconstruction process how my acceleration through the toll would, would cause her all sorts of agony. I never realized that. She knew I loved to slam on the gas the moment the gate opened, and she never said anything. Well, a number of years ago, we had a governor. His name was Nathan Deal. He had been a Democrat in Congress, became a Republican, ultimately ran for governor of Georgia. And he wanted to do transportation initiatives in the state of Georgia. And he essentially wanted to divide the state into regions, and each region should collab- could collaborate on plans, and then through those plans, get the voters to agree to a tax to pay for the plans, and the tax would expire over time. Well, people use the toll booth and said, wait a second. Look at Georgia 400. That toll booth should have been torn down years ago, and they've still got the toll booth. They've st- You're still paying the toll. And the, the, it was a very close election. The polling was very, very close. And a week before the election, to try to push it over the edge to get people to agree to this transportation plan, the governor of the state declared the Georgia 400 toll was coming down. A week before the election, he said, it's done. It's over. We're tearing it down. You can drive without paying the toll. And they tore it down. And it was his way of showing voters, you see, we we can do these things. Vote for the transportation plan and the temporary tax will be temporary, just like 400. Well, you know, the result was exactly the opposite. People looked at what the governor was doing a week before the election and said, well, this is cynical opportunism. There's no way I'm supporting this plan now. And they killed it. They killed his plan as punishment for his opportunism. You know, the irony is they're now building toll roads along Georgia 400, having gotten rid of the toll. Those of you who are listening in Tucson, Arizona, you're having a WTF moment wondering what on earth does toll roads have to do with anything in my life? Masks? Masks? Those of you in Las Vegas listening, masks? The toll road has everything to do with masks. I'm a professional. I will string these things together. The governor of the state of Georgia, in a very close race, where people were saying, look at the toll road, look at the toll road. It was temporary, and it's still there. It's still there. It's paid for it. It's still there. A week before the election says, Voters. I, the governor, shall tear down the tolls and show you that the government can keep its word. Now go vote for my plan. And the voters were so enraged by the cynicism of the move, that killed his plan. It's been obvious for a year now Masks really weren't doing any good. Not only were masks not doing any good, the elite who demanded you wear the masks are not wearing the masks. Stacey Abrams perhaps deserves an award for really showing it. And Gavin Newsom and the mayor of Los Angeles and Elise Slotnick, the, the congresswoman from Michigan and the mayor of, of Washington and the mayor of San Francisco and all of these Democratic politicians, they deserve some sort of prize for exposing the cynicism. And so now, as a voter backlash builds against the Democrats in part because of the masks, suddenly <gasps> miracle of miracles. the science, it has changed. We can get rid of the masks now. actually no, not today, next week or next month. It depends on which state you live in. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, after weeks of people ridiculing him for not wearing his mask at the Rams 49ers game, now says, you know what? We'll get rid of the indoor mask mandate here in California now. After all, the science, it has changed. And because the science has changed, we can get rid of the masks. Really? Really? When exactly did the science change? When did the science of masking change? Did it change yesterday? Did it change last week? Did it change last month and you're just now seeing it? Or did it change because the polling changed? It's amazing what the internal polling of the Democrats must show for so many Democratic governors, Delaware, New Jersey, California. I believe just this morning I saw New York. They're scrapping the masks. For months, it's been obvious we didn't need it. For months, it's been obvious, particularly in school settings, there was no need And yet, now, suddenly, they're doing it. They're going to scrap the masks. They're going to scrap the masks in schools. Why? Because parents are furious at this point. Parents are livid. It has nothing to do with the science changing. It has everything to do with the polling changing. Here's Lena Wynn on CNN last night there actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back. But we should also be intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially for the youngest learners, uh, people with English as a second language, children with learning disabilities, there has been a cost to them. So the risk-benefit calculation has really changed really you don't say the risk has suddenly changed we knew this a while back we knew this a year ago and you know you'll notice her her risk cost analysis she was also one of the ones on well the science the science says or the science changed uh, yes, the the, the the scientific data changes, but it's the polling that really matters. And you know what's so funny here is that the White House is behind the curveball. This is Jim Sackey, White House Press Secretary. Listen to this. If you could just clarify, I know you've talked about this a little bit already. Uh, do you think that at some point in the future, even if that point isn't now, it would be appropriate for there to be updated federal guidelines <laughs> just to avoid confusion? I think the administration has been clear that on other issues there are sort of messaging issues that could have been a little bit more uh, clear coming from the administration. So on this issue, do you think that that might be appropriate? Well, the guidance is very clear, which is that we recommend uh, masking in schools. Uh, that is the recommendation from the CDC. Mm-hmm. It is also true that at some point when the science and the data warrants, of course, our, our hope is that that's no longer the recommendation. Uh, and they are continually assessing that. But the guidance is very clear. It is also true that it's has always been been up to local school districts to make determinations about how to implement these policies. The White House still wants you to mask. By the way, MSNBC wants you to mask. Do you think it's time for school mask mandates to end nationwide? I live with kids who are more than willing to wear their masks, and it's my parents who complain about my children having to wear masks, but my kids don't mind it. Morning, Stephanie. Not yet. So uh, here on on February 8th, not yet. But I I do think that as we proceed March 15th towards April 1st, which I think will be a watershed moment for the country, where we will be truly at an endemic phase based on all forecasts based on where we are currently at right now, which doesn't feel that way. Not not yet. Not yet. Not yet. No, no, not yet. Randy Weingarten, the, the, the teachers union boss. Well, that's why I'm saying that we're if we. You know, we believe in an off ramp. I asked for, I asked Dr. Cardona and Dr. Walensky to start planning for an off ramp in November pre Omicron. But then you had the Omicron surge and the masks were back on and then the K95 masks were back on. So the real question becomes how do we make sure that people can plan for it? And and what are the measures so that everybody knows? So it doesn't feel like it's based upon politics. It feels like it's based upon um, making sure that there's no transmission in school. And it feels like... No transmission in school might be impossible. She wants people at Mass forever. It's going to feel political, y'all. The Democrats saw what happened in Virginia. Now they've seen Glenn Youngkin come in and they realize the parents have his back. Not only that, they're seeing school board elections go against the Democrats. There's a school board out in uh, in Colorado where every liberal on the school board was booted off by liberal parents because of critical theory and masks. There's a great parental revolt and the Democrats don't know what to do. And so suddenly after two years of dogmatic insistence that you must wear the masks at all times, they're getting rid of the masks as quickly as they can. Delaware, New Jersey, New York, California, they're all like, oh, we got to get rid of the mask now. It's time. We can get rid of it. We're over the hump. Uh, Your data metrics that you've been using don't say you're over the hump, but your internal polling does. But here's the problem for the Democrats. The toll road on Georgia 400. What happened is it provoked even more of a voter backlash. It provoked more of a voter backlash because they saw that toll road and they're like, are you kidding me? We've been here with this toll forever and you can just snap your finger and tear it down and you never bothered to do it. You're only doing it because your polling changed and you want this to pass? And the voters were livid. I suspect the same thing will happen here. You mean you could have taken the mask down all the time? You could have gotten our kids out of masks at the beginning of the school year and you left them there until you needed us to vote for you and the polling was changing against you and so you did this? The voters will be furious. You've kept their kids hostage to your pandemic policies, and then the science didn't change. Your polling changed, and because your polling changed, now suddenly you think it's safe to come out from behind the mask. The voters are not going to like this because voters, they may be stupid, but they can detect BS, and they know you've been full of it. Hello there. Yes, the phone number is 877 973 7425, should you wish to be a part of this year program? Now, there's another story out that's worth noting. Because the polling has shifted, we get a bunch of talk about the science has changed. The science has changed. We can get out of masks. Interestingly enough, there's a new study out. In the European Physical Journal. And I want to read for you the title, A Critical Assessment of Extreme Events, Trends in Times of Global Warming. Yes, it's about global warming. I want to read you an excerpt here. The most robust global changes in climate extremes are found in yearly values of heat waves, the number of days, the maximum duration, and the cumulative heat, while global trends in heat wave intensity are not significant. Global trends in heat wave intensity are not significant. Daily precipitation intensity and extreme participation frequency are stationary. Tropical cyclones show a substantial temporal invariance, and the same is true for tornadoes in the United States. In other words, we're not seeing increases in strong hurricanes or massive piles of tornadoes as predicted. Natural disasters, floods, droughts, ecosystem productivity, and yields of the four main crops, corn, rice, soybean, and wheat, are not dropping None of these response indicators show a clear positive trend of extreme events. In conclusion, on the basis of observational data, the climate crisis that, according to many sources we are experiencing today, is not evident yet. In other words... All of the bad things the computer model said would happen are not happening based on observational data. And yet, they continue to antagonize us. Why? Because the polling has not dramatically shifted against the climate change zealots yet. But as your costs keep going up and they force you into battery powered cars that are more expensive and you got to give up your light bulbs for more expensive solutions and the taxes on the poor go up you can expect they will shift their language there as well as the polling shifts this is important here according to the observations of climate the extremes predicted by the computer models are not happening And yet, do you hear anybody in the news talk about the reality? No, of course you don't. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Y'all, I got a bit of a pet peeve here. I have lots of pet peeves. But one of them is there's a story in in, political, not in political, Axios, male economists are freaking out over a New York Times profile. Emily Peck, I guess she's their their feminism gender studies beat reporter. I I guess you can get a real job being a gender studies person. Hard to come by. A, A handful of prominent male economists, including former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, are freaking out, mostly on Twitter over the weekend. New York Times profile of economist Stephanie Kelton, known for her work on modern monetary theory. The Twitter-based econ fight is about more than one economist. It's an argument over a natural economic experiment. The U.S. government spending unprecedented sums to keep the economy from freefall during COVID. And the gender dynamics, male economists piling on against a female economist and a female journalist. Looks terrible. Okay, looks terrible. Key language here. I don't know who Emily Peck is. This reporter at the, at Axios. I should see who Emily Peck is. Emily Peck is a markets correspondent for Axios. Oh, well, she used to write at the Huffington Post. Uh, that pretty much tells you everything you need to know, um, about the Huffington. Oh, and she wrote it, which means she's a liberal to begin with. So Emily Peck is upset, the Axios reporter, who wrote for a number of left wing publications, that male economists are freaking out over a profile of a female economist. And she would like you to think it's sexism, but it's not. She actually does a great, great disservice to the arguments at stake here because the economists who are upset, yes, they're they're overwhelmingly male but it's not just male economists who are concerned. They happen to be the ones on Twitter. They're, they're concerned because the New York Times seems to be treating favorably a thoroughly debunked system of economics that not only is debunked, but refuses to engage in published research that can be peer-reviewed. And that was the point. It Larry Summers pointed out, even socialist and Marxist economists are willing to do peer-reviewed data and reports that others can comment on, even if you disagree, but not MMT, which instead hides behind attacks. And in this case, uses a reporter to advance the attack. Well, it's just sexism. It's just sexism. No. Modern monetary theory is the idea that the government can print unlimited sums of money and pay for scores of socialist left-wing progressive policies without ever seeing inflation. They have tried to do that. Inflation has come about And after years of saying, well, the solution is to raise taxes, now all suddenly the modern monetary theory. So we never said raise taxes to combat inflation, but Axios and Emily Peck or whatever her name is can't be bothered to tell you the truth. They instead have to say it's sexism, it's sexism. So you avoid even considering the underlying arguments. Axios is a news outlet that was designed to give you encapsulated news that was easily digestible so you can move on with your day. And here they've done an absolute disservice to their readers with a left-wing reporter who wants to see everything from the framing of sexism than the truth of what's going on. She doesn't want to take the economists at their word that MMT has been debunked and says, well, it's just a bunch of men piling on the woman. Well, you know, if the woman would actually produce some measurable research that aligns with what we see in the real world, maybe they wouldn't, but she doesn't. Instead, they'd rather scream sexism. People all over the world would rather scream about things than actually engage with the ideas. When you're attacking the economists for being sexist men, as opposed to actually paying attention to what they're saying and the legitimacy of what they're saying, you're no better than you claim they are. Now, that gets me to something I wasn't going to talk about. But considering I just wrote several thousand words on it this morning, I might as well get it off my chest. I mentioned this a little bit the other day. I mentioned it on Friday. Friday can kind of be a cool free-for-all day because... Not a lot of people out there. It was one of those days. There wasn't a lot of phone calls, and I had stuff I wanted to talk about. I was tired of politics, and I talked about all this betrayal stuff, and I'm going to spend a little more time on it with all of you today before we get on to Afghanistan. Do you know in 2016, I didn't support Donald Trump. I didn't. I didn't support Donald Trump. Said I wouldn't support him. I was true to my word. I had three people show up at my house, three men. They had this mean look in their face, but they were there for my good. They wanted me to know if I didn't change my mind that they would come for my job on TV and radio. They would get me canceled because... I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, I was an elected Republican, I should be with this guy. I was always the guy saying, go as conservative as you can in the primary and then vote Republican in the general. And here I was, betraying what I was saying, hypocrite that I was. How dare I? You know, your family needs your health insurance. You don't want to do this. Well, I did. Voted third party. Then in 2020, when I decided I would vote for Trump, a lot of the people who cheered me on in 2016 got furious with me. In fact, I was getting on all the news shows all the time after I had left Fox. The moment I said I was going to support Donald Trump, I hadn't been on Meet the Press since. Or pretty much anywhere else except for Bill Maher's show. My kids were bullied at school. My kids went to our church's school. And I, you know, I, I generally let things go, but I've had a hard time letting this one go. Our, our, our church's school... And the kids were ruthlessly bullied. My son was shoved into the dirt. My daughter lost all of her friends and became very despondent into despair. You know, to this day, my kids get anxiety about elections because of all this. And we had to move them to a new school from our church's school. At church, at our church, my wife announced to a a Bible study that she had cancer, and a woman in the church came up to her afterwards and said she'd pray for her, but really wanted to slap me across the face. I got accosted one day, going from Sunday school to the sanctuary, by someone who was really upset that I just couldn't bring it, bring myself to vote for Trump. Didn't I know America was at a crossroads and, and we needed someone to save it? I thought like, I thought we had Jesus. My kids were yelled at in a store. They were chased by a man, yelling at them that their father was destroying the country. Do you know what that makes you feel like as a dad? Here you are supposed to protect your family, and now you've led them into harm's way to the point that when an election year rolls around, your kids visibly change their behavior. They get anxious. I've been yelled at while standing at a urinal Peen, multiple times I now use the stall and all of it with the exception of one or two times I've had people who generally hate conservatives and politics show up at my house and stuff but never on my front porch to threaten me what it was was betrayal I had betrayed my fans my listeners to this day In the Atlanta area, there are some seasoned citizens with Internet accounts, and my gosh, do they obsess about me. Now, I typically don't pay attention, but occasionally friends send me screenshots. Can you believe this person in the Cobb County GOP is saying this about you? And it's uh, some old blue hair who's mad at me because I didn't support Trump in 2016 and has never gotten over it. We agree on 90% of things, but we didn't agree on Trump in 2016. And even though we did in 2020, there is no forgiveness. There is no grace. I am bad. I betrayed them. And I'll tell you exactly what it is. Very few of us these days actually have meaningful friendships with new people have friendships with old people, some of whom are dead, some of whom have moved away. We still keep in touch with, but in our immediate lives, rarely do we have friends that we hang out with on a regular basis, unless those are friends who agree with us from some background. We're either friends because of work or we're friends because of politics. We're friends in some way. We're not natural friends through and through. We're very binary friends. We're either on or we're off. And so when someone turns us off, Suddenly, it's a betrayal. It's a betrayal. We feel aggrieved that we've been betrayed. And nowadays, a lot of us get to become friends with people on social media or on. Instagram in particular, which is social media. We connect with people. We see what they want us to see, not their full lives. And we connect with them and, and we become engrossed in their lives and their relationships and all the stuff they allow us to see as we peer in voyeuristically into their lives. And we begin to build ancillary connections to them that we extrapolate from based on what we hear and what we see. And then one day we realize that that when they actually provide those ancillary details, they're nothing like what we presumed, and we are betrayed. The root of betrayal is the "b" is handed or thoroughly and and trail traded away, handed over. "B" means thoroughly traded from the Latin a Latin word, and then translated in Old French for um, thoroughly away. So we are, are traded thoroughly away. We are handed over thoroughly. Now, normally in the old sense of the word is we betrayed someone. We thoroughly handed someone over to the enemy, to the bad guy. And nowadays we've reversed it. And it's someone has left us and gone to the enemy, gone to the other side. And it makes us very, very angry. It explains the left's reaction to Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan. They were on the left. All these people condemning Dave Chappelle for his transgender jokes just a few years ago were laughing at him. In 2019, Dave Chappelle got the Mark Twain Award, the nation's most prestigious award for comedians. And they showed clips at the award ceremony of one of his transgender jokes. And everybody in the crowd laughed. And some of those people who were laughing then are condemning him now. Because they feel betrayed, they 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 wonder: were we all laughing together, or was he making us laugh at ourselves now? And the reason they do this is because over time they've begun to question their relationship with him. Same with Joe Rogan; he's a, the MMA uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, fear factor, pot smoker, Bernie Sanders voter, gay marriage supporting guy who dares to have conversations with people the left views as betraying their worldview. So Joe Rogan must be betraying their worldview, so they must condemn him. You see it in the church as well, the number of people who go after Beth Moore or Tim Keller or Russell Moore or even David French. And then you see it from some some people who've left the church and they go to the New York Times and, and they want to attack evangelicals back into the church, lay out not our sins or their sins, but lay out the sins of other people because they feel betrayed by that group betrayal kind of explains so much of what's happening in society right now with cancel culture and the like. And it's because we've allowed our friendships to become very binary friendships. Most of them are digital. Anyway, they're written in ones and zeros. And when they flip to zero, suddenly they're not our friend and they have betrayed us. I got a guy I know I've hung out with him repeatedly over the years. Uh, he and his son were driving through my town a while back and took him out to dinner and we hung out for a while saw him in atlanta the next day hung out a little while longer we traded emails years and years and years and years and, and the other day i had to actually block his phone number and stop following him on social media because he was aggrieved at me for condemning what happened on january 6th but saying you know the democrats they're one day going to do this sort of thing as well and couldn't believe I would mitigate it, minimize it. He felt betrayed by me for saying something he disagreed with. You know, the only way we get through this is for people to stop feeling so aggrieved by other people. The only way we survive as a society is for us to offer more grace to those people than they ever offer us. And I know what I'm talking about here. I have literally been yelled at while peeing in the airport when you're that aggrieved because you're upset with me that says a lot about you and how you develop some sort of level of attachment to someone you don't even know and then feel betrayed it's not healthy in society the best thing we could ever do is probably destroy the internet and go back to our lives that existed before the internet but if we're not going to then we need to work a whole lot harder on having relationships that aren't binary and and letting people agree to disagree without deciding that they're trying to destroy the planet. Like this reporter I was talking about who decided that anyone who disagrees with this MMT expert, they must just be sexist. No, they have valid points. You've just decided to reduce them to a binary because it makes you feel powerful to do so so that you can then attack them. People are way more multifaceted and way more complicated than we want to give them credit for. And we should probably remember that with all of our friends and with all the people we don't like who occasionally stumble upon things we agree with and it leaves us confused. Maybe it's because we've caricatured everyone instead of letting people actually be a multifaceted human being. Now, I don't want to caricature the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. This air purifier is small and it doesn't have a filter. And you're thinking, must not be that good, except it is. You can wipe it out occasionally, and you can keep using it to eliminate odors, to get rid of the mildew, the mold, the bacteria, the pollen floating in the air. It's easy to use, and this thing is portable. And right now, to prove it to you, Eden Pure is having a BOGO, a Buy one, get one free, which I think should be a BOGO, but BOGO is easier to say. So what you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you use my discount code, Eric BOGO, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O. There's no space, Eric BOGO. You put that in and you will get one Eden Pure Thunderstorm and a second one for free. So you can take one with you when you travel. You can have one for upstairs, one for downstairs. Move them around your house. They're so portable. You hold them in your hand. They plug straight into the wall. They work. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERICBOGO. You will buy an EdenPure Thunderstorm and get a second one for free at EdenPureDeals.com. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. By the way, tomorrow the recipe going out is the smoked chicken wings, so you can get ready for the Super Bowl. The phone number is, yeah, it's not an ad, so I can say it. Uh, the if you want, text the word recipe singular, not recipes, but recipe to three three seven seven seven. You know, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories. But I've got one, and I don't know that it's a conspiracy theory. I think it may just be happening. What if What if China is manufacturing positive COVID tests to take athletes out of the running who might challenge China? My heart can't take it emotionally crushed Polish speed skater Natalia, Malazwinska wrote in an Instagram post, I'm very pale. I have huge black circles around my eyes. I want all this to end. I cry every day, said Russian biathlete Valeria Vesnistova on the same platform. Unreasonable, complained uh, Dirk Schmimmel-Finend, the head of the German delegation, in an interview with his nation's media. All three were speaking out of the conditions they faced or observed in quarantine hotels in China, used by athletes who test positive. While at the 2022 Winter Olympics, they described inedible meals, little or no access to training equipment, and a confusing and sometimes seemingly illogical COVID-19 testing regime. Short track speed skater Malazwinka tested positive for coronavirus on January 30th when she was ruled out of Saturday's qualifying race for the 500 meters, her strongest event. But Malazwinka was unexpectedly released from isolation on the eve of the race only to test positive a few hours before it started and was immediately ushered back into quarantine. The next day she was released again after testing negative. What if China is trying to eliminate good athletes by rigging the covid test? You can't put anything past the chaicoms. And apparently they're they're feeding the athletes just garbage meals. They're all in an uproar, but they're too scared to say anything lest the commies come after them. They should have never had the Beijing Olympics in the first place. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. you got the economy. you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building? You want to build a building? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can.